A note from the Smart family. The statute of limitations in this case has expired on everything except murder. Anyone who comes forward with information will not be charged with any crime. Welcome to Conversation on Tap, an awesome podcast that seeks to promote intelligent dialogue in an age of echo chambers and self-segregation. Pull up a stool, pour a glass of tasty beer, and join us each week as we talk about all the topics that you are told not to discuss in polite company. My name is Joel. And my name is Jose. And this week, we are going to be interviewing Chris Lambert from the Your Own Backyard podcast, where he um, is using this platform to kind of investigate and search for the missing Cal Poly student, Kristen Smart. How long has it been since uh, she passed? Do you know? Uh, it's been 23 years. Wow. You that know. is such a cool thing he's doing, and we hope him the best. And his work over the last, uh, I'd say almost a year now, at least publicly, uh, he has gotten so many people uh, to be interested in this topic. Because I think it was big at the time, and it kind of went away. Yeah. And he's kind of rekindling the interest in this missing persons yeah. story. So we'll wait to tell everybody who she is, um, because her story is fascinating and sad. Yeah. But first, Joel, what do we have on tap? So I just spent a wonderful couple of days with my cousin who loves beer so much. Um, What's his name? Can Travis. Say? Yeah, I don't think. We won't say his last name. And he brought, uh, he, he just gets the best beer. So what is the stuff that um, we're drinking right here? Oh, Devil's Gulch. Yeah. Hazy IPA. Super good. Super flavorful. Very fruity. As a good IPA should be. I guess next we might try this Kickwheel or Pond Farm. Kickwheel Kolsch. Yeah. And then maybe after that, some SoCal Kooks, DDH West Coast IPA, and then Frothbite IPA from Alvarado Street Brewery. And I think that's the one he said was right there in Monterey. We didn't get a chance to visit it, but he said that the Monterey area is full of great beer makers. So it'd be super fun to visit there and try them all. Let's go, Joel. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. This stuff is good. Oh, so good. Mm. Mm. I see your true colors That's why I love you So don't be afraid To let them show your true colors And now for the segment of our show that we call Fred Talks. In this segment of our show, Joel and I will each share one thing that we are passionate about for about two minutes, though we tend to be chatterboxes. This week, I think we'll try to contain ourselves here. This week, I'm going to discuss crime, specifically crime in Vatican City, um, which has the highest crime rate in the world. Well, now let's talk about statistics for a second. It's probably because it's got the super low population. It's the smallest country in the world, if you want to call it a country. Yep, technically it's a country. Jose, do you know who protects the Vatican? That's the uh, Swiss. Wow, I can never get you. Okay, that's a decide. Okay. So basically, yes, you are absolutely correct. So Vatican City, which is a nation state, technically, has a population of about 500 people. <laughs> so most of the crimes are, you know, pickpocketings, you know, petty theft. And non-citizen crimes, right? And yes, it's done by visitors, and Vatican How? City has about 20 million visitors a year. I know, I was going to ask. I mean, so divide that by 365 to get an average, that's a huge amount that's non-citizen so every day. Their crime rate is about 133%. Yes. <laughs> which is more than their population. Yes, I totally can see it. 
So that is just shows you how statistics totally lead us astray. Exactly. So anyway, that's just a really quick Fred talk there. Vatican City has the highest. I gotta just. I'm just gonna blab on. I always do this, but Krista and my family and I, Mm -hmm. we were um, the victims of crime in Vatican City. Were you really? Yes, we were. It was a very minor crime. But we were standing in this atrociously long line, yeah. waiting to get into St. Peter's. Is it St. Peter's, right? Mm-hmm. And um, these, well, they spoke an Eastern European uh, language. I didn't know if it was Russian or Ukrainian or whatever. Just after being in line for like a long time, yeah, yeah. just got right in front of us. They just walked right up mm-hmm. and got in front of us. And we didn't say anything. And. Oh, well. We didn't know what to do. And everybody behind us was like looking around too. Everybody was super polite. And that just is weird. And we were probably at fault for not saying anything, but it could have blown up. And oh, you yeah. could see that they were very, I shouldn't say that, but they were acting very belligerently already. Oh, wow. All right. So anyway, that's my crime story in the Vatican. At Disneyland, they would have been jumped. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're not going to get in front of my ride. Right. Sleeping Beauty would have come out and, you know, Beat them half to death with one of the, you know, seven dwarves yeah. shovels or something. Now, what do you do when people just get in front of you in line? That's a crazy thing. So rude. All right. Well, my Fred talk, I've been saying I want to, um, I want to do psychological studies. And I'm going to kind of go away from that and just say right now that today in class, we're about to do a utopia. We are in the middle of a utopia project. And so I'm talking about idealism. And I open the project with this question for my class. Is the world getting better or worse? Mm. And immediately the whole class erupted with worse. And I said, well, how would you measure this, you know? And they said, well, like, people are getting poorer. People are, are not as healthy. And I just told them, no, in all those cases, you're wrong. And I think that I made my class so much wiser today, all my classes, wow. because they were such pessimists. The world is getting better, people, for the most part. Like, global warming is not getting better, yeah. and they brought that up. But, um, for instance... The world is healthier than it's ever been. I mean, go back a couple hundred years, man. You were likely to die at a fairly young age. 40, 50? Yeah. And the world is richer. I mean, there's a ton of third world country um, countries that are just getting richer. And that the, um, the graph is pretty steep. Um, the world is getting more educated. Yeah. Um, the world is not going to be overpopulated as some people think it is it's going to actually possibly be where we have a population crisis when it goes down we don't know of course but that's what demographers think i've heard that where yeah because people like like me maybe are only having one child yeah right yeah i mean and and educated people generally have um less kids so as the world gets more educated that might happen so i don't know i just think that if you have to err It's smarter to err on the more optimistic side of things. And I told the kids that, listen, you didn't know the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. So why did you? And I think it has to do with the news. You know, the news has to make money by giving us, you know, the worst of everything. But the world is overall getting better. Mm -hmm. I think if you look at politics, if you look at the sensationalized news, you know, every night or morning. Yeah, it it seems like it's getting worse. It really does. But we have to take hope in that, take heart in that, yes. Mm -hmm. So that's not a psychological study, but that's that's something that just happened to me. And and I just want everybody to be more optimistic than they maybe are. Have hope. Yes, yes.
So we're joined today with Chris Lambert, who is the host of the Your Own Backyard podcast. Thank, thank you for being here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, first, I just wanted to ask you, um, before we dive into um, Kristen's story, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, like your background, what you do. Sure. So I grew up here. Um, grew up in Orchid. I've been here my entire life. I just turned 30 last year. I've been uh, doing music most of my life. I was a singer-songwriter, and then I worked oh, in a recording studio for about 10 years up until last year when I started working on this. So I put out a whole bunch of albums. Like every year I put out a new album. Mm-hmm. Last year I put out my 11th album on May 11th, I think. And the next day read this article about Kristen Smart mm-hmm. and got super sucked into it. It was like, I, I've heard about this my entire life. Like if you've grown up in this area, mm-hmm. you know her name from the news and you know about the billboard, but I didn't know any details of it. And so, like I say in the podcast, I sat down and read that article, and by the end of it, I was like, where's the documentary? Like, where is all yeah. the info about this? And started looking around and couldn't find anything, so. I mean, right. we, can I just say that we're in a world now where we can do that on our own. We don't have to right. wait for big media to jump in yeah. and take it over. I mean, because you've gotten lots of traction just up from your own will. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah. I think you're trending top 10 in the true crime yeah, category. Yeah, I, I peaked oh, at number yes. 8 um, yes. from what I saw. And then uh, even overall at one point I was like number 50 in all genres. And I was like oh. over Oprah's podcast. And it was crazy. I did not expect. Wow. I, I was hoping locally people will pay attention and maybe it will do decently well. And then pretty soon it was like, okay, now people from other states are reaching out. My mom... My mom will message me all the time, like, did you see somebody from Thailand left your review? Oh, like, no, it. and I'm trying not to think about it because oh, it's really nerve-wracking. But. No, but it's cool. Yeah. But I think your point, though, is um, even though you're telling a story that's attracting people's attention around the world, like Thailand and other states, we here in this community, we're the ones, if we come together and we fill in those gaps of knowledge and information, we can ultimately solve this. Right. Yeah. And you, want to the, line, you want to find locals, basically. Yeah, and the point locals. that I keep coming back to is not only did this happen here, mm-hmm. I believe she was buried here. Yeah. I believe that her body is still somewhere local. So all these places that I've read about, places in Arroyo Grande, rural parts of like the Napomo Mesa people have brought up, and parts of the back Edna Valley way to San Luis Obispo, yeah. all of those are familiar to me. And it's like she could be any of those places. Absolutely. And so there's a good chance that if enough people start looking again, somebody will find her. And just little tips, little clues, little hints here and there. It just starts to add up when you have this many people interested in it again. By the way, the title of your podcast is what again? Your Own Backyard. Your Own Backyard. Does that have anything to do with possibilities of where she's uh, It doesn't. I, I, oh, okay. It was because just I about, it was, this I... is my own backyard. Like, this okay. is where I grew up. But then, once I realized that connection, I decided to title one of the episodes, Their Own Backyard. Yeah. Okay, so there is the a connection. I was trying to remember, because I remember, and you're, I didn't look into as much as I should have. I remember the possibility that somebody cemented her in their yeah. backyard. Yeah. Well, and that's one of my... Okay, I'm jumping the gun. You're okay. jumping the gun, which is Sorry. totally fine. Okay. Well, before we get to that point, what I wanted to ask you was, you are a musician. Yeah. And what I love about the show is that you made the, your own music for yeah. the show. And oh, it's very right compelling yeah. music. It, like, pulls you in. Yeah, nice. that was a tough, like, because I'm, I'm typically more of an acoustic folk singer-songwriter, and to try to find a balance of... 
a lot of true crime podcasts they'll use like horror music, oh, yeah. like little yeah. music boxes and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's really creepy. Mm-hmm. And I thought for this case, that doesn't really work because it's not really a dark mm-hmm. horror, brutal murder story. It's more of the mystery. It's like where mm-hmm. is this girl at? And so to find a balance between something that's sort of sinister, but there's also that sense of longing. It, I spent a long time trying to figure out how I was going to do the music for this and tried a lot of things that didn't work before I got the score that I did. Yeah. Can I just ask you, do you, is your music under Chris Lambert or yeah. is it under yeah. a band name? Okay. Yeah, it's just Chris Lambert. And is it yeah. do you like kind of folk music or? Most of it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've done, I've done a little bit of everything over the years. I've did, I've done alternative rock mm-hmm. and like emo music and electronica music and folk and all kinds of stuff. So usually each year I work on an album for the entire year and that's my project. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time around that the project became something completely different, which ended up right. being a documentary series. Yeah. But what I love that's though is I can totally tell that you are someone who's interested in music because of with the podcast platform, you are creating audio. Yeah. So it's almost, there's a rhythm or sound quality that's like a um, song or it's like music yeah Mm. and i tried to structure like i think of each episode like its own album like you have an intro you have like different parts that come in different segments and i even split it up into different scenes where it's like this is almost like its own song Mm. and the way that it goes into the next song is the same way that i would do with an album that's super cool nice Um, we just got done talking about star wars and i'd be remiss (laughs) if i didn't talk about how all the different themes go with different yeah. characters and how cool that is and I love matching music to to mood and to, to character and to you know everything it's so neat um, one of the things I really loved about your podcast was that I don't know if you know about Hunter S. Thompson or not very little but he had this gonzo style of journalism yeah. where he was a participant in the story and I, I think that's what you were doing maybe not intentionally like you set out just to tell her story and of course you are maybe inevitably part of it yeah, that was actually something that was recommended to me by a close writer friend of mine. And I had sat down with her and said, I want to take on this project, but I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Can I just kind of get your eyes on this and you let me know if this is crazy? And I read her the whole story as I had it laid out. And she said, I think you need to inject a little more of yourself into mm-hmm. it, especially from the beginning, because people are going to go, who is this person and why is right. he talking about this? Is this an investigator? Is it a family member? And instead, it's just a guy. And yeah. she's like, but if you hit that point that it's like, I'm a guy who grew up here hearing about this and now I'm going to look into it myself. Mm-hmm. I think people will connect to you better. And so I dipped a little bit into that. I thought I did just a tiny bit, but some of the, like the very few bad reviews I've gotten have been like, this guy just talks about himself. Oh. So like, that was oh, one no. thing that I was like, I, I tried to be very subtle about no. that, but it I is important she... in the way that I'm telling the story to me. Yeah. It's important that this is a local telling this story. And the reason that it's coming from me is because our community was greatly impacted by this mm-hmm. tragedy. Yeah. And the fact that she's still missing, it's getting forgotten by each generation. Yep. I asked a lot of people, I'm, 31. And so I asked a lot of people younger than me, do you know who Kristen Smart is? And almost nobody I asked knew. And the people who did were like, was she the girl that was abducted in Utah? Oh, that's Elizabeth Smart. And so like they're and the people who did know details couldn't quite remember. It's like, didn't they find her bones already? Didn't they? So that was that was different case in this area that mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of that one, but you would know. Yeah. yeah. And then at one point there was a time where they had found they were looking for her and they found 
remains, but they weren't sure if they were human or animal, and they never followed up on it. My so gosh. some people took that and just thought, well, it's solved. It's over. Yeah. And so that was another reason for going into this is not only to retell her story and make sure she's not forgotten, but let's clear up all of this misinformation yes. because there's a lot that's rumored to have happened that did not, and a lot that was rumored to, like, People think something hasn't happened. It's like, no, they did that in 2001 or something to go through it chronologically and try to clear everything up. No, I think she was so wise to tell you that because, I mean, as an English teacher, we're both English teachers here. Oh, wow. So we are told to tell our kids, keep the eye out of your essay. (laughs) And when the kids insert a little of that, it just makes it so much more stylish. Mm -hmm. And and I don't like stuff that doesn't in, inject the personal. So yeah. good. My girlfriend also has a magazine that she started just the same way that I did with this. It's like let's just see if I can make my own magazine. And so I've been writing for it for years. She's put out fifteen issues. What's it called? And it's called Coyote and Oak. And it's it's big in like the San Luis Obispo area. They carry it at all the shops there and stuff. And so every once in a while she'll ask me to write a story. She'll have a subject and say, Can you interview them? And the style that she and I both love to read is when you read a good Rolling Stone piece that's like ten pages yes. long and you get like so it's raining outside, I'm supposed to meet this guy, he hasn't yes. shown up. Then they go to a bar together and it's all about the author and the subject getting to know each other. And so over the years, each time I write a new article for her, it's like, here's me meeting this guy and here's the story of what it was like to hang out with this band or yes. whoever I'm writing about. That's very Gonzo. That's very Gonzo yeah. Thompson. Totally. So that's sort of where that style developed. Nice. Rolling Stones, yeah. Yep, yeah. of course. So I know to do this podcast, you quit your job. Yeah. How did that process work out? Like quitting your job, doing the research. How did you pay rent? Like I'm just curious yeah. about how all that worked out for you. Yeah, so I started researching this last May, like I said, and I spent from May to May – full year just doing research and kind of playing with the idea of, am I actually going to do this or not? And I had warned my girlfriend many times along the way, she and I lived together. And it's like, I think I want to do this, but I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent while I'm, while I'm taking a break to do it. But I also think if I keep working, I'm not going to be able to do this the way it could be done. And she was very encouraging, like quit your job, I'll take care of the rent for a while. Like we can do this. And so luckily I was able to work up until I needed to quit Mm. and then use the money that I had saved to keep helping out. Um, But then at a certain point it's like, now you're on your own. I can't, can't help anymore. And then, Luckily, once I started putting this out, there's such a huge supportive community online. There's a Facebook group, and one of the people started a GoFundMe to just compensate for all of the time that I spent working on this. And now I'm kind of back to where I started, where it's like, didn't miss any rent payments. Everything's covered just by donations. Beautiful. Tell us what the name of the GoFundMe is so that we can make sure that we can keep that going. I'm really not sure what it's called. (laughs) You are so humble. If you search GoFundMe and then your own backyard or Chris Lambert, like it's on Google everything. Or you can actually go onto the, I think it's Find Kristen Smart Facebook page. Yeah. I think it's Dennis Mann. Dennis Mann is the one. Who is actually someone who appears in the podcast. Yeah. Um, and he's the one who's collecting the Venmo. I have money. to ask: how, Did you watch Serial? Be I mean, listen to Serial? I did, yeah. And did that um, influence you at all? Because man, that was good. And yeah, at that I time, feel like it just brought out so much. And I, we, we, I know that you probably don't either. We don't want to cap on the authorities and, uh-huh. and police. So they try their right. best, and and but man, it, there's a lot that's just going to be missed. And that we, as a community, what's it called when like everybody contributes to Wikipedia or whatever? What's that like called? Crowdsourcing. Crowdsourcing yeah. is so possible now. Yeah. You know? With this podcast, I think that's kind of your goal is mm-hmm. crowdsourcing. Yeah. Right. 
right. In yeah. a way, yeah. Getting mm-hmm. people to and, and it works. I mean, it's already solved. I wonder how many crimes throughout the country. Yeah. It's working. Well, that's unsolved mysteries, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Call this number. Yeah. Right. And it works. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Serial. Yeah, when Serial came out, I had never considered that I would ever do something like this. So I wouldn't Ooh. say that it influenced anything, but my girlfriend and I listened, like, yeah. riveted, just like everybody else did. Yeah. I remember she and I went to a concert around that time, and in between songs, the guy on stage was like, who here thinks Adnan is innocent, and who thinks he's guilty? Yeah. And I was like, this is a cultural phenomenon. Really we, everybody is. in the audience yeah. is talking about this yes. right now. And so that was a major game changer i think for the way that podcasts are produced even yeah and yeah. to tell a story week after week that is definitely the model that i'm following is yep. to, to separate this story which is one of the first things i did is is there enough material in the Kristen smart story that it can be separated into episodes and that each episode is compelling in its own right that each right. one has a topic that Ooh. it sticks to and moves chronologically and also injects new interviews and so i spent a long time just laying out cue cards and scenes and the way that I wanted to storyboard this out. We're going to talk about the Mandalorian <laughs> later, but one of the aspects of that show, I'm not sure if you've watched it. I haven't it seen it yet. But is the idea that it's released weekly, mm-hmm. right? And I know yeah. you got a review where someone said, well, why isn't the whole season dropped? <laughs> we want it right. now! Yeah. Yes. But Give there is a quality us. to it being a weekly show where you can savor it throughout the week where you right. can enjoy the details yeah. and yeah. ponder it. And versus... also I think it allowed for the suspense to build. Yes. People started, they listen on Monday and then Tuesday they have nothing to listen to. Yep. So they go into work and they tell a coworker, I just heard this podcast. You have to check it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So each time a Monday would hit, I would have way more followers yep. than the week before. Oh, yeah. And I don't think that could have happened if I would have dropped it as a full season. Yeah. yeah. I just think that we're in the culture of instant gratification and needs to not necessarily and completely, but yeah, to a certain extent. We don't need it all. Just enjoy, yeah. savor. And it's fun. The anticipation is so yeah. fun. All right. So tips and hints because of your podcast. Yeah. Are they coming? They are coming more than I can keep up. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you might. I mean, we can all just pray that this turns out to be the, the, the reason why this case gets solved. I mean, there's just so many people out there that if it, and I want to talk to you after the show about what I know from somebody who probably doesn't want to talk about it online or anything, but yeah, there's just bound to be tons of cool tips. And see exactly what you just said. That's the point of doing this in the location where it happened. If I was talking about a murder that happened right. in Massachusetts in the seventies, yeah. I wouldn't have somebody being like, after the show, I'm going to tell you something. Somebody told me yeah. that they might know that's yeah. like, that is can only happen right. from doing a podcast in your own backyard. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, know, I know someone else, I won't mention her name, but she knows someone mm-hmm. who was um, a tipster yeah. to uh-huh. you. Okay. Yep. So, yeah. We all do, I mean, six degrees, but I mean, we've been just immersed in this, and it's so cool that it's finally coming back because it yeah. really did. It went through such a long time. In fact, I remember one time just seeing that billboard and saying, wait. What happened to that story? Yeah. And everybody must have. And who did that billboard? And thank goodness for them because yeah. they kept the fire going just barely That's enough. That's the Smart Family's attorney. All right. In front right of on. his office to this right day. Mm-hmm. And I told him, like, once I finally got to meet him, it's like, just so you know, this billboard is single-handedly keeping mm. her name yeah. yep. in everybody's memory mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. a bunch of people I talked to said, oh, I've seen that billboard. Yep. And if that billboard wasn't up, she might have been forgotten a lot sooner. Oh, true, absolutely. Tragically. Yep. So I think this is a good point now to move into Kristen's story. Yes. Mm-hmm. So just tell us before Kristen went to Cal Poly, like who was she before she went to Cal Poly? So the first step I took in doing this is 
I don't want to just talk about her disappearance. I want to get to know her. By the time she disappears, I want people to feel like they know this person. And so I reached out to her parents. and I was very hesitant. I didn't want to bother them. And they actually finally ended up inviting me to come up to their house, which is the house that Kristen grew up in. They're still in the yeah. same place. Um, stayed with them for a couple of days and just talked about her life. And the the story that I got is she's their first born child. She's very confident and like just wanted to go headstrong and do things in the world. From the time she was a toddler, she's like walking early. She did everything on her own and really had an idea of what she wanted to be. As she grew up, she developed an interest in architecture and traveling. Her parents to this day actually travel all the time. They go all Ooh. kinds of places with their other kids and now with their grandkids. Wow. And so Kristen kind of caught the travel bug early. She spent time in Venezuela because she wanted to learn to speak Spanish. Oh. So she went down and wow. stayed there in high school. She went to London and stayed with friends there for a while. She went to Hawaii a lot. Oh. Uh, the summer after she graduated from high school, she was a camp counselor uh, at Camp Mokula'ia in Oahu and just took care of kids there Ooh. and taught them how to do things and braided their hair and made flower crowns and stuff and just really wanted to see a lot of the world. So when she came to Cal Poly, it was to be an architecture major. And partway through, she actually ended up switching her major to communication studies mm-hmm. because she wanted to be a traveling reporter who got to go to different countries and be on the news and interview people and what stuff. What a world beater. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah. My and goodness. Very striking, beautiful. Yeah. How yeah. tall was she? Six foot one. Yeah. Wow. The same height as me. Yeah. Oh, man. That's, that is – she's just – Oh, I don't think this is true, but it sometimes seems like we lose the best. I'm just thinking of JFK and Martin Luther King, but we sometimes yeah. you see, talk on it. This sounds horrible, but the best. Oh, like what could have happened? What could she yeah. have done with her life? Right. I think. Yeah. It's it's the loss of what could have been yeah. that makes it um, all the more tragic. Right. Um, and then you met her parents. Yeah. And how are they? They're incredible people. They're they're both in their mid-70s now, and so they're worried all the time. Like, as they've gotten older, it's like, are we ever going to know what happened to our daughter? How long is this going to drag on? And all along they've been wondering, is the sheriff's department actually working on this? Because for a long time they were not being communicated with. They were wondering what was happening behind the scenes. And so a lot of their life has been just that struggle. But they are still incredibly resilient people. Mm -hmm. They're very happy people. They have two kids besides Kristen. They're two younger kids. And now both of them have kids. Mm -hmm. And they spend lots of time with their grandkids. They take them to other countries. They go on vacations all the time. And they're both funny people. Too, which was one of the first things that really touched me when I went up to see them is I was tiptoeing around things and not wanting to upset them too much. And they were just relaxed and laughing and, and making jokes with me and sort of loosening me up because mm-hmm. I think they could see that I was tense and trying sure. to be respectful. Right. And they're very comfortable people. They're very happy people. And yeah, they, they've been very supportive as well. When I told them I want to do this podcast, they weren't really sure what that meant and what mm-hmm. it was going to be. And even up until it started releasing, they weren't sure what the format was. They, they even called me after the first episode and said, we didn't realize you were going to use our voices <laughs> oh. in the podcast. We thought you were just going to tell the story in your own Ooh. words. And they're like, that's okay. But we just had no idea. Oh. So luckily now they've been talking about it with their friends. They'll go out to dinner mm-hmm. and everybody at the table will be talking about that week's episode. Oh, and so 
so her mom stays in contact with me and she's like, we are thrilled that so many people are talking oh, about this again yes. because this is what's been really missing is. in this story is yep. whether they're investigating or not, whatever's going on at the sheriff's department, people are not talking about Kristen enough. Right. And the, right. their biggest fear, they said, is that people will forget their daughter. Exactly. She's going to disappear from memory exactly. except for the people who knew her. Yep. You know, Dia de los Muertos just yeah. finished. and. I, and I know you have talked about this and doing an ofrenda for my beautiful, wonderful grandma and my mother-in-law just passed. And it just reminds me of that. You know, we got to keep these memories alive. Yes, it's, we do. But I think what's so powerful, you have a great voice, by Thank the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, listening to the podcast, you have one of these like soothing NPR style <laughs> yeah. voices. But I think it's super compelling to hear Kristen's parents speak. Yeah. And to hear the voice of... Ruben Flores lying or to hear, you know, Kristen's friend, uh, Margarita. Yeah. Just kind of retell the story of that night, but hearing their voices, I think makes it more real. Yeah. And there were people that I reached out to and contacted that were hesitant to talk. And they're like, why, why now? Especially what's happening. Why now? I'm just a guy. I'm not connected to anything. I don't, I don't work for anybody. I'm doing this on my own, but I'll tell you why I reached out to you because me telling this story based on a little blurb that I read in a newspaper from 20 years ago and reinterpreting it and saying it in my own words is not going to be nearly as compelling as it would be for you to relive your memory of like the last time you saw Kristen, like what was that like for you so that the audience can hear this is a real person that we had real contact with. And now that she's gone, it's had a severe impact on our lives. There's a void left by Kristen missing. And that doesn't really come across by some guy who never met her saying, I read in a newspaper that somebody said this, this, and this as much as it does when she says, and then we turn this corner and we're in this parking lot and this is what happened. Right. Of the clues, hints, um, leads, have the police um, taken any of them from you? Yeah. So that's a recent development. So after the sixth episode aired, I finally heard back from the sheriff's department mm-hmm. who I had reached out to like a month before and they said, we'll sit down with you. And, and ah, I said, does that, that mean somewhere? Yes. Yeah. And I said, so are we doing this off the record or is this for the podcast? Because I just finished oh, the series yeah. is done. Mm-hmm. And they said, we'll bring your recording equipment and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to meet with the lead detective on Kristen's case. Who's been working on it since 2014. He's a commander for the sheriff's department now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, did, you, did you get the feeling that they're super passionate uh, about finding the killer as you, you are? Know, that's or what I was just... not sure what was going to happen when I got there is, are these people really doing the work they say they're mm-hmm. doing? Or are they stringing this family along? Right. And I left with a good feeling that, yeah, yeah they want to find this girl. Mm-hmm. Right and on. not only that, but there's a lot of things that the public is very fired up about right now. They're like, why didn't this happen? Why didn't this happen? And they're telling me, Look, we can't answer those questions Ooh, because yeah. it will impact our sure, investigation, sure. but we have answers to those questions. Mm-hmm. There are things that people are beating the door down about <laughs> that they want to know right. that we would love to tell. Yes. But trust me, yes. it will come out when this is over with. And they, so they did actually, once we did our little interview, they're like, okay, now we want to talk about these leads that people mm. are telling us were in your podcast. This happened and this happened. Tell us where this is. Like, show us where this location awesome. is. Talk to, oh, wow. set us up with this person. Yeah. So they have been following up, and I'm getting the the impression that some of the things that came in from the podcast have drastically changed the timeline oh, of this. Man. That I don't know what's going to happen, and they can't tell me the details. But they're sort of assuring me, like, we are on this, mm-hmm. and 
things are moving, like things are yeah. happening. I think it's important and maybe frustrating for some people who are like from the Facebook Find Christian Smart page. But the Smart family is actually supportive of the current sheriff. Yeah, the okay. current sheriff started in 2011, and the first thing he did was sat down with them and said, I want nothing more than to close this case during my tenure. Like, while I'm here, I want to find your daughter. And over the years, he's kept them in the loop. So he's the first sheriff that will call them up at home or even drive up to their house mm. and sit down and say, here's what we're working on. Here's what we're trying to get done. And the, the problem is you've got the district attorney who's in charge of a criminal conviction if that were to happen. You've got the sheriff's department you've got the fbi who's been working on this too and they're all trying to do these parallel investigations and the way that mrs smart told it to me when i first sat down with her is it's like they've got a thousand piece puzzle and they're like here you get a hundred you get a hundred you get a hundred but you can't look at each other and it's driving them crazy because who has what and why won't they share it and so at this point it feels like everybody is the most cooperative that they've been it feels like everybody is getting on the same page And the fact that the public is talking about this as much as they are, I think, is making them they, – they want to do a good job on this. Can you imagine the old cliche of departments not talking right. to each other for the reason why things are getting done? I mean, I know that that cliche is kind of true, but gosh, you know, yeah. for something so important, it can't happen. So, so I want to kind of um, come back to the night of May – or the morning, I guess, of May 25th, 1996. Yeah. Kristen Smart – she is an adventurer. She, for whatever reason, just wants to go out. She wants to find a party. She wrangles her friend, Margarita, who wants to just stay in her dorm and study for yeah. a biology test. Yeah. And um, she's like, no, let's go out and party. So she convinces her friend to go out. And um, at one point that night, um, Margarita is like, I'm tired. I have to pee. I'm going back. What happens after that? Yeah, so they separate in the parking lot. of uh, It's the Foothill Hacienda Apartments on the corner of California and Foothill. And again, like I said, because I grew up here, when I hear specifics like that, I'm like, I want to drive to that place. First thing I did was drove to that parking lot and found Mm -hmm. the dumpster she said they were in front of Mm. when they separated. So Margarita goes one way to go back to her dorm building. She gives Kristen her room key because both of their roommates are not there for Memorial Day weekend. So she's like, come back to my room, sleep in my room tonight. Here, you take my key. I can still get back in time that they'll open the door for me, but you're going to be out late. So Kristen took her key and walked the opposite direction. She went up Foothill Boulevard and turned onto Crandall Way, which leads back towards the campus. And she stopped at a house that was occupied by frat guys. It wasn't an official frat house, but it was one of their houses. And they were throwing a birthday party for um, this guy named Swampy Fell was his frat nickname. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're having a, it's kind of a small birthday gathering. It was not a frat party. It was, was like, like 14, 15 people there. Right? Yeah, like at maybe at one point, like 20 or 30, but sort of back and forth throughout the night. She doesn't know anybody there, at least as far as we can tell. It seems like she just wandered off the street because she heard music playing. Um, she went in, and then the stories kind of differ in there. So a lot of people who were at the party that night have been hesitant to talk. Over the years, they don't want to talk about what happened at that party, which I understand, but at the same time, it makes it really suspicious because then you wonder, did something happen at that party that they know they could be held liable for this many years later? Or is it just, I don't want to get tied up in this. I'm 42 now and I have kids and I've started my own life and I don't want to relive this college thing. Mm -hmm. But whatever the case, I reached out to a bunch of them. A few of them did talk to me. 
And different people saw different things. So some people said they never saw Kristen drinking the entire night. Other people said, oh, yeah, she was chugging vodka. Some Somebody would say, oh, I never saw her holding a cup. Mm-hmm. And so there, we're really not sure what happened except that she ended up very, very intoxicated by the end of the night. So the question is, was she roofied? This is like right around the time of the date rape drug blowing up. I think the first article about that was written in February of 1996. This happened just a few months later. So was there drugs at the party? Was something slipped into her drink? I have no idea. She was a minor, right? Yeah, she shouldn't have been drinking, but everybody at the party was drinking. Right. And it's a college party. Yeah. Right. And so whether she drank too much or whether somebody slipped something into her drink, I don't know. But at the end of the party, when they're all clearing out to go home, somebody finds her passed out on the lawn next door to the house and helps her up and says, you need to get back to her dorm, your dorm. And she can't stand up on her own. She's so drunk. Mm -hmm. And so this guy, Tim picks her up and says, we need to help her back to her dorm. She can't get there on her own. He and a girl named Cheryl start walking her back and they're kind of helping her walk. And this other guy shows up, Paul Flores, and he's like, I'll help you guys. And he puts his arm around Kristen and he starts doing the bulk of carrying Kristen, essentially. Um, They get to an intersection and Tim turns left because his truck is parked off campus and they don't need his help anymore. There's two other people now. So he goes to his truck, apparently. Cheryl, Paul Flores, and Kristen Smart turn right and start to head towards the dorm buildings. And when they get to a crosswalk, Cheryl's like, do you have her from here? Because my dorm is down this way. Are you going to get her back safely? And he's like, yeah, how about a kiss? And tries to kiss Cheryl. She refuses. And he's like, come on, just give me a hug or kiss on the cheek. So he's being flirty and Mm -hmm. a little aggressive. Mm -hmm. He's clearly drunk. She's not interested, but she ends up leaving him alone with Kristen. According to his story, they walk up to the dorm buildings, and then he turns and lets her walk the rest of the way on her own, Mm -hmm. even though they all said she can't walk on her own. She's too drunk to stand. Um, But that's the story he tells police. We don't know what actually happened, but what we do know is a month later when they finally brought in cadaver dogs, they brought in four separate cadaver dogs, and every one of them alerted to Paul Flores' dorm room and then alerted to the corner of his mattress, the handset of his telephone, and the wastebasket of his room. And there's, I think, 600 rooms per dorm building they walked the dogs through every building and his was the only room that they actually alerted. the only wow. one and wow. Paul's father Ruben was like well he had this tri-tip sandwich yeah that's what he tried to say to somebody later He's, she, he had a tri-tip sandwich in the room and that's what they were smelling um, and yeah. so I interviewed people who handle cadaver dogs for a living and what I was told is they don't alert on the smell of meat they, don't, they alert on the scent of human decomposition which is a specific set of chemicals mm-hmm. that is released at the moment of death like wow. seconds later and they are trained so that even if they find there was one handler that told me my dog found this dead cow in a field and he walked right over it because he's looking for the chemicals that he gets rewarded for wow. finding this is how these dogs are raised and they're yeah. they're smarter than that they don't alert on right. the, I, he said the closest that they would come is alerting maybe on the scent of menstrual blood and beyond that nothing is close enough to the scent of human decomposition it's crazy and so it just comes down to that's not enough Right. Some, what that tells us is somebody died in his room or he was in contact with a dead body and brought the scent back to his room. That's as much as we know. Right. We don't know whose scent it was. There's not enough DNA left behind, or, or maybe there is, mm-hmm. but because it's gone on so long, it seems like they were never able to get enough to actually convict him. Did, did, what did he say he did in those days after that um, 
she disappeared. Yeah, he said he woke up the next morning. He had a regular day at school. Um, I think he said that Saturday night he said he went to the movies with a friend. The Sunday, he his dad came and picked him up and drove him down to their house in Arroyo Grande, which is 15 minutes south, um, and then spent the day at home with his dad. Monday, he went to play basketball with some friends, and a cop actually came to his dad's house to looking for Paul because he had had a DUI months before. And so the cop, he has a warrant for Paul's arrest and it's not at all connected to this missing girl because they don't even know there's a missing girl yet. So they take Paul into the police station that night and they do a mugshot of him and he just happens to have a black eye. Mm -hmm. He's got scratches on his hands and on his knees. And when they question him about that, he says, well, I was playing basketball with my friends and one of them elbowed me in the eye. So they interview the friend, and the friend says he showed up at the basketball game with a black eye. He already had the black eye before the game. Wow. So he lied to police about how he got the black eye. Then when they tell him, your friend said otherwise, then his story changes, and he says, okay, I was actually changing my stereo in my car, and I hit my eye on the steering wheel, and that's how it got black. That is so damning. So overall, he told, I think, three different stories about how he got it. He told some people he just woke up with it. He told people he got it at the basketball game. He got it from the radio um, or from the steering wheel while changing the radio. And so he's got the sin of human decomposition on his mattress, and he's got a black eye that he lies about early on. And then I have to bring up what I brought up earlier about this cement that I had heard so many years back. I have no idea if that's true or not. Can you just shed any light on – did they really – Maybe put- let's start with um, the Lassiters because yeah. they were the renters. Mm-hmm. So the wife – what's her name? Mary. Mary. Mm-hmm. She finds an earring, all right, with which the – this is a whole other part. The, the sheriff's department loses or misplaces or throw, throws away. Mm-hmm. And then later on, they start hearing like – a watch alarm or something. Yeah. So what, what it is is that the Flores family has two separate houses in Arroyo Grande. They have the family house that the dad owns, and they have a separate rental house that they've been renting out. But the parents had recently separated just before Kristen went missing, and the mom was living full-time in her own rental house. So a few months after Kristen disappeared, they put it back on the market, and they found a family to rent it. It was the Lassiter family. So I interviewed Mary Lassiter, and when she moved in, the backyard is entirely concrete from wall to wall. It's a solid concrete backyard. But before she had moved in, they were doing work in the backyard and they had cut out huge chunks of concrete wow. and filled it in with soil to make these planter boxes. Oh, you've just, I mean, because I've always wanted to know if that was a tale or not. And it's so good to hear. Yeah. The that rumor, actually, I think, yeah. the, the misconception is that some people say, well, they were pouring concrete in the right, backyard at the right. same time. It's like they weren't Slightly pouring different. it. Right. There was already concrete. They were cutting it out. Mm-hmm. And filling it in with soil. And and Mary Lassiter told me the whole time we lived there, we couldn't get flowers to grow in it because at the bottom of the soil, there was more concrete. There was Mm -hmm. like two layers of concrete. And so, and also like you mentioned, as they were living there, she's washing her car in the driveway one day and she finds this little woman's earring. It's silver and she says it has turquoise on it Mm -hmm. and it's got a little dark smudge of red on the back. It looks almost like dried blood in like a fingerprint form. And so she puts it in a Ziploc baggie and saves it. And months later, when they start being bothered, do you know anything? Are you related to this Flores family? And she's like, we don't know anything. We're just renting this house from them. So her husband actually pulls out the earring and says, if this is important, you guys can take this. We just found this in our driveway. So a detective takes it back. 
months later, that family is deposed and they're sitting down for a deposition with the Smart family's lawyer. And she brings up this earring. Like, we turned over that earring. And all of them look at each other mm. like, what earring are you talking about? Because yeah. the sheriff well, never talked about an earring. Well, so they asked the sheriff's I mean, department. Could they not have done a DNA sample on that smudge? I believe they could have, yeah. yeah. And but So they asked, the Smart family asked to see the earring. And the sheriff's department is like, well, we need to do this first so you can come later. And they kept putting them off over and over again. So a full month passes before they drive all the way down from Stockton to San Luis Obispo. And they're like, we're not leaving until we see the earring. And that's when the sheriff tells them, we actually misplaced the earring. We can't find it. We don't know where it is. But it wasn't important because we gave it a visual inspection and we were able to determine that it wasn't Kristen's, which really upsets her parents because it's like, well, you should have asked us if it was Kristen's or at least let us look at it. And not only that, why didn't you tell us as soon as you recovered that earring, we found something that might be important. So they never got to look at that earring. They have no idea what it looked like. But Mary Lassiter says that on the billboard, this necklace that Kristen's wearing, it's got a little silver pendant with a turquoise stone in the middle. And she says it's an exact... Match the, the billboard, earrings. right? The earrings, that, and apparently they were Kristen's favorite pair of earrings. Possibly. Possibly, her mom has never been able to confirm because she's never seen them. Oh, so true. what I did was I I was going to ask Mary Lassiter, can you just draw me a picture of what you remember it looking like? And she goes, well, actually, I knew you were coming over, so I went to the jewelry store and I bought a pair that looks exactly like oh. what I found, and it's exactly like what's on the oh. billboard. It's a little silver yeah. pendant with a turquoise stone in the middle. Wow, what a shame. And it makes me wonder, as a conspiracist in me, that if they had any connection to anybody in the police know, force well, to get into the pretty common. You know, of course, yeah. Because people are having these conspiracy theories. Yeah. And then, okay, one of the things I thought was totally striking and heartbreaking was Kristen's mother, Denise, yeah, saying that Kristen was getting up early and going to work at five as a lifeguard. Yeah. And then fast forward to Mary Lassiter saying, 4.20 a.m. in the morning, this watch alarm is going off at a particular spot in the backyard. And they would go out there and look. Yeah. And um, they're like, this. it must have been a college kid because 420, that must be like a drug thing. Mm. But not necessarily. Yeah, she doesn't realize the connection. So I had already interviewed Denise, and I'm talking to Mary Lassiter, and it's like, wait a minute. Denise is saying... You know, she wakes up at 4.30 every morning. She's telling me, like, I got to quit this job because I have to study and I got to wake up at 4.30 to go to the pool shift that nobody wants to work is the oh one that they gave goodness. to Kristen. So Kristen's waking up at 4.30 a.m. And Mary Lassiter's hearing a watch beeping in her backyard, oh which she can't goodness. find. So her and her mom are going in the backyard with sticks and sticking it down in the soil, trying to find where the beeping is coming from so they can stop it. And they were never able to find a watch, which means it was probably buried in the soil or under the concrete itself. Yeah. That is just a puzzle piece that fits a little too closely. Yeah. And then what blows my mind is this. Okay, so kind of backtracking a bit, the Cal Poly campus police won't accept that Kristen is a missing person. They think she went um, camping or that she just didn't communicate to anyone that she left. And so it's like a full week, right, before they start investigating this as a missing person. Yeah. They started early on. They... they tracked back that she had been to this party and they started asking questions and what they started locking into is well was she flirting was she being promiscuous and so what they're wow. thinking is she might have hooked up with a guy at the party maybe well, this she is ran pre away me with too of course yeah right. and so it, they think for a long time this is a flighty girl she didn't have and which is true she did not fit in at cal poly she told her parents i don't like cal poly and i don't want to be here 
but she had a couple weeks left to go and she was ready to finish her freshman year. But they think this is the type of girl who would have run away. She has ties to Hawaii. Maybe she flew to Hawaii. Maybe she went to another country. Maybe she went back home. They called their parents at home and said, is Kristen there with you? They're like, no. And what they actually wrote in the incident report is, well, Denise Smart told us that it could be likely that her daughter would have gone camping, which Denise denies that she ever said. But that's part of the reason it takes so long to actually get going is because they don't think she's in danger. They think she left on her own free will. I wonder if police protocols changed after that. I mean, it certainly could happen that they say, you know, we screwed up and we're going to change our protocol now. Well, that was when Governor... Yeah, it was um, Pete Wilson. Wilson, yeah, yeah, yeah. signed a law in 1998 that because of Kristen Smart's case, that campus police have to involve local law enforcement right off the bat. Right on, of course, serious. yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's, it's, to me, listening was frustrating because here's the Cal Poly campus police fumbling. Yeah. And in Cal Poly, um, they went in and they cleaned Paul Flores' room. Oh. So basically any evidence at that point was gone. And it seems like the sheriff's department also kind of fumbled the ball a bit as well. Just incompetence. Yeah. Things and, were lost. Things were misplaced. Things were not done properly. Yeah. And it's that first 48 hours, if you watch that show, mm-hmm. <laughs> is crucial. And they didn't really begin an investigation until a week after. Yeah. Mm. It's so frustrating. I want to talk about Paul Flores, actually. And you have a whole episode on Paul Flores. The women you talk to, they describe him as... Creepy, scary, someone called him Psycho Paul. Um, But their stories are really consistent about his behavior. Yeah. Mm. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how he treated women, especially when he was drunk? Yeah, so almost every girl I talked to said he would just stare. He would stand in a corner, and you'd look around, and you'd notice this guy just staring with this far-off, distant look in his eyes. He didn't make eye contact when he talked. He had a very severe stutter and couldn't get through a sentence sometime. He would get really nervous, but the drunker that he got, the more relaxed he would get, and then he would start hitting on women. Uh, I had several women tell me that he offered them money to... um, at one point, he offered a girl money to take her underwear off and sit on a glass tabletop while he laid underneath it. Wow. Um, he offered a girl money to pee in front of him. And, you know, and can I just say, when people come up with something that specific, yeah. to me, that is just so, so, so believable. Mm-hmm. I mean, people can't even make up stuff like that. Yeah. That is super credible. Yeah. yeah, just bizarre sexual deviant behavior to girls that he doesn't know. These are people he's at a party, and a lot of them said, I was there with my boyfriend. And then their boyfriend ends up beating him up and kicking him out of the party by the end of the wow. night. But another thing that came up in every person that I talked to's story they said he would just show up to parties uninvited. You'd be at a place and you'd be like, did anybody invite Paul? Because he's looking in the window. He would he would stare in people's windows. He'd show up in public. He would eavesdrop on people's conversations to hear where they were going. And then he would follow them there. A girl that he worked with um, said that she started to notice he was following her home from work. And she lived like a mile up this hill that's like a private road. And he got all the way to the top. And she's like, what are you doing up here? And he's like, I just wanted to see where you lived. So he's following girls. He's trying to – basically it looks like he is trying to get a girl to sleep with him. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't know how to do it. He's awkward. He's not a – 
a popular kid. He doesn't have many friends. It is so redolent of this guy who was the mass murderer at UCSB. You know, these guys who are super frustrated. The incels. And that's the right. incels. Thank you, for because I was going to go nuts trying to remember that name. <laughs> yeah, they're incels. Yeah. But then Paul Flores also has a history of violence. When he was So we're junior high school teachers, mm-hmm. and um, the, the level of violence he displayed um, against this other person who was on the podcast... Um, Basically hospitalizing him, almost killing him. Yeah. Yeah, I had I had heard about this from a newspaper, and they said Paul Flores has had a history of violence. At one point, there was a lawsuit against his family because of this. And so I started looking for this guy for months and months, um, found him, and reached out to him. I emailed him. I called him. Never returned my call. And what happened was I started putting episodes out. This guy lives in Texas now. And he finally called me and said, you know, my wife and I were on a plane, and we found out about your podcast and started oh. listening to it together and realized that you had been looking for me. And he said, so what can I do for you? Heck so yeah. he was willing to talk to me anonymously. And so I said, I just want you to recount this incident because there was some incident where Paul was very violent with you. Um there was a lawsuit over it. Can you just tell me about that? And I also have the deposition tapes where Ruben Flores and Susan Flores are talking about what happened. And the story they tell is Paul was jumped by three guys and they're holding his arms behind his back and he's trying to fight. And at one point he might've, you know, kicked somebody while struggling to get away from them, but he stood up for himself and maybe somebody got hurt in the process. The story that this guy tells is that he was kind of a smaller kid. He wore glasses. He got picked on a lot. Paul was picking on him one day and he kind of stood up for himself and said, leave me alone. Paul starts fighting with him. They start wrestling. They go to the ground together and he's trying to get Paul off of him and he throws his foot up and gets Paul in the nose. So Paul stands up, jumps off the ground with both feet wearing shoes and stomps on this guy's head with his full weight. Um, He loses consciousness At one point, he loses his vision for a couple hours. He can't put a sentence together. They take him to the office. He can't remember his parents' names or phone numbers. They're finally able to get a hold of his dad, and his dad comes to get him. They rush him to his doctor, and his doctor is like, we have to take him to the emergency room right now. They leave the doctor's office to go to the emergency room. He can't talk anymore. He's, He's going in and out of consciousness. He started having seizures. And overall, he ended up spending a few weeks in the hospital at which point they thought he might not make it. There was a little bit of time where he's asking my dad, am I going to die? And his dad's like, I don't know. And ended up recovering. Paul was uh, suspended for three days from school. And so he was back in school while this kid was still in the hospital. Um, And they ended up having like a $5,000 settlement over this. And it's the same year that they end up moving. This is in Torrance where they were living at the time. They end up moving from Torrance up to Arroyo Grande that same year. Mm. So I think that's a related incident. I think they were trying to get away from what was going on down there. I think they knew their kid was causing trouble. They wanted to get away and brought him up here. It's a pattern of the Flores, the Floreses. To protect Paul. Right. Even when he's dangerous. Right. And you hear that in the deposition of Ruben Flores. He and Susan, we don't hear Susan's deposition, but he and Susan both basically lied about what happened to protect um, Paul in their deposition. Which I think ties into what happened with Kristen the same way. I think there's a lot of revisionist history that goes on with this family where they know what their son is capable of and what he's done in the past, but they refuse to admit it. So with Kristen, they, in their depositions, refuse to even call her a 
to call it a death. They're like, she just disappeared. She just ran away. And at one point in Susan's deposition, she pulls out this picture of Kristen who had, she's blonde, but she had dyed her hair dark not long before she went missing. And she's like, this is what they don't want you to know. They don't want you to know that <laughs> this is the girl that really ran away. And they've never even gone on the news and asked their daughter to come home. Like they're acting like this is the smart family's fault. And like, they've twisted things to make their daughter look like the good person in this, which is, I think their way of dealing with this tragedy, like what actually happened. Yeah, yeah. 180 degrees opposite of, of truth. But then in this deposition of Ruben Flores, he ends up mentioning something really interesting that you, I think, wanted to pursue more. You kind of wanted to lean, lean in more, which was the trucks. Yeah. He's really coy and kind of um, misleading, really, about... The two trucks. Can you elaborate more on the two trucks? Yes. Yeah, so the, he owns a 1985 um, Nissan truck, like an older model truck that he's had for years. They had bought Paul a brand new 1993 Ford Ranger. It's like mint green. All the people I interviewed remember that truck really well. It's a very distinct brand new truck. There's pictures of him in two separate yearbooks posing in front of his truck because of how proud he is of this brand new truck. Well, he gets the DUI and his license is suspended. He gets second DUI and he can't drive anymore. So they impound the truck. According to Ruben's deposition, nobody had access to that truck at the time that Kristen went missing because it was being held in impound. But then later on in the exact same tape, he tells a story where, you know, Paul gets this black eye that weekend from working on that truck and it's in his garage. So the truck is in impound, but it's also in his garage at the same time. Um, then you've got the Ranger or yeah, the, uh, no, sorry, the Nissan, uh, is Ruben's truck. They ask him, did Paul ever have access to that truck? And he says, no, that was my truck. And then later on, they ask, what happened to that truck? And he says, it was stolen. And then they said, where was it stolen? And he said, in San Diego. Well, did you report it missing when it, went miss when it was stolen? No, Paul reported it stolen oh, because man. Paul was the one driving the truck and he had his name on the registration. So it goes from Paul never had access to that truck to Paul definitely had access to that yeah. truck and reported it stolen. Just... Paul couldn't have had access to the other truck except it was in the garage and that's how he got his black eye. So the stories about the trucks don't so... make sense. The thing that stood out to me the most about those is they ask him about a bed liner. So the plastic lining that goes in the inside of the bed of a truck, um, Typically, you leave that as is. I don't know anybody who's ever changed right. their bed liner. Yeah. They start asking him, did this truck have a bed liner? And Ruben says yes. And he just starts answering all the questions about the bed liner. And they said, did you change your bed liner after Kristen Smart went missing? And he's like, no. And they're like, okay, because we have somebody that says that you told them Man. as a birthday present for Paul, you were getting him a brand new plastic bed liner for his truck. Man. And at that point, he goes, okay. I think we got something mixed up here. What's a bedliner? Yeah. Oh, and suddenly my goodness. He has no idea what a bedliner is. People so. that have trucks and love trucks don't <laughs> yeah. know bedliners. Come yeah. on. So this deposition was taken a year and a half after Kristen went missing. And at that point, the sheriffs had never asked to search those vehicles. They didn't do forensic tests. They didn't even look inside of them. So in this deposition, they ask, where are those trucks now? One of them we traded into Heisen Johnson, and we got a new car. The other one was stolen in San Diego, where they have no connection. He doesn't know anybody in San Diego. There's no reason for that. But within a year and a half of Kristen going missing, both of those trucks are also gone, yeah. which I think is a key piece here. Oh, and absolutely. That's one of the things where when I talk to the sheriff's department and there's things they can't tell me. I just want to know, 
do you guys know where those trucks are? Mm-hmm. Have you been able, they might have the trucks and they might've had them a long time ago. They might still be actively looking or they mm-hmm. might not think they're important, but I would really like to know, have you ever been able to recover those trucks and were they tested? For Absolutely. Them? And this podcast, who knows? I mean, somebody might know about a truck that had, that suddenly appeared in their hands at that time. And mm-hmm. you just, this the crimes are solved by the craziest, weirdest uh, right. clues, hints, whatever. And you just never know. Yeah. But then there was a witness who says that he saw two trucks driving out on, was it Wozniak? Yeah. Wozniak? Yep. So Wozniak is like a way rural part of Rio Grande where they had no business being. And there's at least one person who says that he saw Ruben Flores and Paul Flores in two separate trucks around the time Kristen went missing heading out to Wozniak, which is one of those, like I said, these rural locations that are all around the central coast. Those are the places that I'm really interested in Mm -hmm. developing Mm -hmm. a connection to this family. Did Mm -hmm. they have any reason to be in those places? And if they were in those places, have they been searched now? Uh, is that where they're looking mm-hmm. or have they ever looked in those places? Yep. Because another thing I asked the sheriff's detective when I interviewed him is there's part of me that wonders if you guys know exactly where Kristen is and you just can't say it. Right. And they can't tell you that obviously, right. but I'm wondering all along because I know they want to, I know they want to convict somebody. I know mm-hmm. they want to find out who's responsible and they want to punish them for this. Mm-hmm. But my number one goal with the podcast is I want them to locate Kristen's body. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what her family is waiting for. Right. They're, They're not the as family. interested in conviction as they are in just knowing what happened to their daughter's right. body right. and taking her home and having like a family gathering and, yeah. and saying goodbye to their daughter for real. Peace. They never got to do that. Mm. I think you even mentioned in another podcast I was, I was listening to, um, being interviewed on, that you even speculated that they would be willing to forgive Paul if he were just just come forward and say, you know what, mm-hmm. after 23 years or whatever, I'm finally going to just tell you where she is. Yeah. Many times over the years, they've even been willing to offer him full immunity. Wow. We will not press any charges. You won't serve any jail time if you lead us to the body. And actually, they had some issues with the district attorney at that point who said, well, we want to convict him. Whether you guys want it or not, this is our mm-hmm. case. And that's the struggle that's been happening all along is the Smart family wants to know what's going on and they want something to be done. And they've got all these different agencies that are telling them, you've got to let us yeah. do our job. Yeah. It seems like the parents should be the deciders. I mean, they're the, they're the clients. I mean, as teachers, we have to allow the parents to tell us sometimes what, what gets done with their own kids. And Man, it's interesting. So at this point, that's why it's good that they've now finally developed a good relationship with the current sheriff's Mm -hmm. administration because at least now they're being kept in the loop and updated. And they believe that this guy is really trying to bring their daughter home. Yeah. Um, I want to point out, this is not a cold case. This is an active and ongoing case, which was the title of your last episode. But it's frustrating when you have these people, you were mentioning, I forget their names, I'm sorry, but bringing in cadaver dogs, being able to hit in the particular corner um, because they they ended up having to go to the neighbor's yards and the dogs were, the cadaver dogs hit on a particular corner of the Flores' backyard, but the sheriff's department dismissed it because the certificate was expired. expired. It's not like the dogs are aware. Oh, well, my certificate expired. My nose doesn't work anymore. The dogs know. So maybe you can elaborate on that as well as the other guy who had like this really cool... um, 
what was it? Almost like a machine. sonar machine yeah. that would oh, get on yes. DNA. Yes. Yeah. So he, he says the way that it works is it picks up on resonance frequencies, and that's over mm-hmm. my head. I have no idea what that means, and I don't understand how the machine works. So there's part of me that wonders, is this a real working machine, or is this somebody who's trying to make a name for themselves in this field? I have no idea. But I just wanted to know the sheriff's side of it. Like mm-hmm. when this guy alerts and he says, I got a hit for DNA in the Flores backyard. Why don't you follow up on it? What is the reason there? And from what I'm being told, they don't trust him. They just don't believe that it's a real working but machine. But what I thought was fascinating was he went with his machine to the sheriff's department. Yeah. And he just had to, did a 360 turn and it hit on some kind of... The, trailer or something. The evidence building. Evidence building. So, so they, he believes he got a hit for Kristen's DNA in the sheriff's department evidence building, which could be Ooh. because they have, maybe it's Paul's mattress, maybe it's the earring that they lost, maybe there's something in there. Now, the the idea of being able to pick up DNA from afar is pretty far-fetched. We mm-hmm. all have to agree with that. But the, the deal is, man, pursue everything. Pursue kinda, everything. You know? Just right. pursue everything. Right. I mean, but, but, okay, so more specifically than that then, the dogs, the cadaver dogs hitting in yeah. this particular corner. Yeah. Yeah. That drove me nuts. Yeah. So what they're saying, so the question is, why not bring in sheriff's department cadaver dogs Mm -hmm. to follow up on that? And the reason they told me is, one, we don't trust that cadaver dog. We don't think that he was certified or his certification had expired. And we don't trust that he was a trustworthy source. But even beyond that, even if we did, we need a search warrant to get in the Flores backyard to bring our own dogs in. You can't get a search warrant based on an alert from a neighbor's yard. And what they were telling me is that decomposition can travel underground for up to like a mile Mm -hmm. and come out in cracks and concrete. So they're saying, so if he gets a hit in that back corner of the Flores yard, what that really means is there could be a dead body anywhere within a mile radius of this. So we need, what they're saying is they need very, very specific new evidence Mm-hmm. in order to get a brand new search warrant to search that backyard mm. that they didn't have the first time around. They had a search warrant in 2000, which they executed, but while they were there, they chose not to dig up the concrete. So that can never be done again without a search warrant or without the Flores family giving permission or moving out of those houses, which is a point I brought up in the podcast. The fact that they're still living in those houses, right. when people are holding candlelight vigils outside of their house, people are honking outside of their house and screaming at them that they wouldn't want to pack up and leave is a sign to me that they're protecting something in their houses. But the rest of their families did leave. Paul moved to San Pedro. Yeah. Their other children also left. Yeah. And it's just the two of them. Just the two of them. And all of their family lives in the South Bay. So they've got family in Torrance, Redondo Beach. Nobody is anywhere near here except them. And they're divorced. So their ex-husband and ex-wife living a mile away from each other. Um, I drive by every once in a while when I'm passing Rio Grande, drive by the houses, and every once in a while I see one of them at the other's house. So they're staying in contact. They're around each other all the time, and I think it's this that's brought them together. And did wow. you wave to Ruben Flores? Is that what you said in the podcast? You drove by and saw him outside? Yeah, I didn't wave. No, I, okay. I looked at him. You just, he just, yes. You think he knew who you were? I don't think he knew who I was. I think he knew why I was there. Okay. He saw a car slowing down. He lives at the top of a cul-de-sac up a hill, and there's no other house. There's two houses around him. Mm-hmm. So when somebody drives up that road, he has a long time to run out. That's and what he does is he stands in his driveway and just stares people down. Mm-hmm. And you can even go to Google Maps. And if you look at the street view and go by his house, <laughs> he's staring down the Google car the wow. same way. So I drove up there, and I thought I would be able to just make a circle. And once I got to the top, I was like, uh-oh, i got to make a U-turn. And in that time, he came walking out. 
And we just looked at each other. We made like extended eye contact. I and see. I was like, he knows that I'm up here for his house. He, yep. he has no idea who I am, but he knows that's why I'm here. Yep. And it's very yeah. uncomfortable. And so that's something that I've avoided since then. His house is kind of out of the way. But the the mom's house is right on the main thoroughfare of the when you leave the village. And so everybody knows where she lives. People scream stuff at her all the time. When she comes out of her house, people honk. One of the neighbors actually contacted me and said, since your podcast has started coming out, there is just nonstop wow. honking all through the wow. night. Could you wow. please ask people to stop honking? <laughs> yeah. I've got five hey, kids. That don't have honk, nothing. people. Come on. Be yeah. nice. Right. At least be nice to the neighbors. Yeah. yeah. So I, and I put out a thing. Just please stop honking. The neighbors get it. Like they they yeah. want justice too, but they weren't even around at the time. So, yeah. but but the point being, she's being constantly harassed mm-hmm. for this, which in my opinion she deserves, and and mm-hmm. she needs to be reminded that people mm-hmm. know this yeah. happened. Yep. But why not move somewhere else? Why not get out of town? It's just too damning. Um, that's almost like the Holy Grail. I feel like if yeah. you could just get that warrant. I mean, just to che- if it turns out to be inconclusive, check off that box. I mean, yeah. man, it'd be nice to get that done. Yeah. And then what I thought was awesome, too, was you went and you sat for eight hours waiting to talk to Paul Flores. Yeah. Yeah, he lives in San Pedro. Is His address is kind of common knowledge if you're part of the Kristen Smart community. Everybody knows where he is, and they keep an eye on him when they can. Um, and a couple other news publications in the past have gone down there and asked to speak with him. He always refuses to speak. He has never spoken to the media. He's never said anything. But I thought, I can't wrap up this series without trying to get him on the record and even just to confront him and say can you tell me anything mm-hmm. and to get the sound of him walking away from me would have been interesting mm-hmm. so i yeah i parked at like six in the morning and waited outside of his house and his neighbors are all looking out their windows and wondering who i am huh. because i think a lot of his neighbors are aware of who he is sure. and strangely they're very protective of him and they mm. don't want people bothering huh. him mm. which i think is odd there's a daycare center directly across the street from him where somebody babysits kids in their house across the street from Paul Flores. And I've been told that that lady is very hostile when people come by and they're like, get out of our neighborhood. We don't want you around here. Knowing that Paul Flores is accused of, but he's very manipulative. And of course they've only heard his story. Right. And according to them, he's a nice guy. He's never bothered anybody, Mm -hmm. but those are the guys that you always see on forensic files or cold case files. It's like, he was a nice, quiet guy. He never Mm -hmm. bothered anybody. And he had bodies in his backyard or Mm -hmm. something. So, But to that point, though, usually they're like, we had no idea. Right. But the ladies that you talked to were like, oh, yeah, when we heard about this, we're like, yeah, yeah Paul did it. Yep. Yeah. Everybody I asked, what did you think when you – if you knew Paul in high school, you knew Paul growing up, what did you think when you saw that he was tied to the disappearance of Kristen Smart? And every person I talked to said I wasn't a bit surprised. Wow. That's damning. Unanimously. Yeah. Which I think is the worst condemnation. If mm-hmm. if somebody went missing while I was around them, I would hope that nobody I know <laughs> would think that yeah. I did it. Yeah. I would hope that everybody would be like, he's the last person. Right. But with yeah. Paul Flores, everyone's like, wow. I saw it coming, wasn't surprised. But what can you do? Can you report somebody for being creepy? No. Can you say, well, he's weird at parties. He stares at us. He right. shows up without permission. But that's not a crime. Yep. But then somebody disappears and it's too late. Yep. And there's nobody, unfortunately, tragically. No weapon. No weapon. Yeah. So that's no kind of been what's kept them from. Yep. Yeah. And that's what I'm pushing towards is I don't know what they've got going. They've got their own investigation and the direction they're heading in. Yeah. And I tried to come in here and shake things up a yeah. little and go, 
what if somebody in this community knows where Kristen's body is mm-hmm. and you find her body first, that way it makes a conviction way easier. Yep. And like I said, I don't know if they're miles ahead of me. They might know exactly where Kristen is, yeah. but at this point her family isn't aware of where she is. And that's the biggest tragedy to me is right, let's sure. find this girl so that her parents can rest. And then you guys worry about what you want to do as a result of that. If you want to convict somebody or you're able to, to find out her cause of death based on where she was located, maybe you can tie it to, who did it? I don't know, but that's what I'm trying to make happen. I think you're doing saints work, man. <laughs> yeah. I just think that this is huge and it, I, this would not be blowing up without you. Right. And I Thank think you, as we kind of near the end here, cause we've kept you more than I said we would, but I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize, no, but fine. I think it was powerful in that last episode. What was that gentleman's name who basically reached out to Paul and said, if you're listening, dude, like you've been in prison already. Like yeah. this your life right now is prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, just yeah. come forward. Yeah, Clark Baird. So he actually went to school with Kristen, then ended up moving down to the area years after she had gone missing and tried to help. He wanted to find her. He chartered a helicopter at one point to fly over some forests and try to see any disturbances in the soil. He talked to psychics who told him, look in this location and followed up, brought his crews in, dug places up. And then at a certain point, he just kind of burnt out because he thought, Nobody's taking me seriously. Like, Mm -hmm. the sheriff doesn't follow up with me. Nobody will listen to what I'm saying. And he gave up until the podcast started airing Mm. and reached out and said, man, you got me all fired up again, and now I (laughs) want to help. So, yeah, I spent a whole day with him. He showed me where he thinks Kristen might be. We talked. And at the end of it, he said, I really would just like to appeal to Paul Flores directly. Man, I don't hate you. I'm not even mad at you. I just want you to do the right thing here. You have an opportunity to be a hero, and you could be the person that brings Kristen home after all this time. Just step up. Don't let your parents hold you down and tell you what to do. They've been controlling your whole life, and it's time to grow up and do the right thing. Yeah. Wow. Before we end here, what do you think happened? Where do you think she is? I have some ideas that are so to me so compelling right now that I'm almost afraid to say because I'm feeling pretty good about Uh some things Mm -hmm. that I've heard. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I think happened is that I think she lost her life that night. I think Mm -hmm. I don't think she was taken off campus alive. I think she died on campus, maybe in Paul's dorm room or maybe somewhere else. And he went back to his dorm room. I think he called his dad because I think his dad was his lifeline. And I think his dad drove up in the middle of the night and helped to get rid of the body. I think those trucks were an important part of it. I think she was moved in those trucks. I think at least for a period of time, she was kept in that backyard with the concrete. Mm. I don't know if she was ever buried under it or in the planter boxes, but at the very least, I think her watch was there. I think that could have been her earring. So she could have been there for a period of time. There's also a trash can that that I mentioned briefly. When the family moved in, the Flores said, don't touch that trash can, leave it alone. And then they came and moved it and when cadaver dogs finally came to that backyard that's the exact spot they started to show interest in i think something had to do with that corner of the yard but i think she was more than likely put in a place that that family was comfortable and they felt like they could keep an eye on her which is the nightmare for her family is that for 23 years this family has had an eye on their daughter's location and they don't they don't know where she is do you think it might be like an avocado grove 
you know, there, there's all kinds of tips that I got that to me sound really, really interesting. And the question I had was, was this followed up on? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that it doesn't look like were followed up on over the years. And I'm really hoping that this sheriff's administration is trying to correct that. I yeah, hope they're yeah, doing, that'd be great. I hope they're following up and especially on some of the things that came in because of the podcast and, and tips that I've gotten that they've been interested in. I hope they're following up on them and I hope that it won't be too long until we get some kind of update with that. Okay. And is there anything that your audience can do that you can think of? I mean, besides just keeping our ears open, our eyes open and, and, just give tips, even if you think they're super far-fetched. Yes. I, mean, the, I sat down with Denise Smart, and I said, let's make a list because I'm getting so many emails a day, mm-hmm. and people are going, what can we do to help? Yeah. And I don't know what to tell them. Yeah, it's no, like, I do know. you want to have a protest outside of the sheriff's department? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the direction you yeah. want to move in with this. And the, you know, the candlelight vigil was, luckily, it was very peaceful and productive. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, we got to stop bothering the family because it's not going to help sure, anything. Sure. So what can we do that's productive? And she said, number one, I want everybody to listen to the podcast. Share the podcast with everybody Mm -hmm. you can because there are people coming out of the woodworks to say, hey, I heard that you were looking for me Mm -hmm. and that are contacting me from other states and coming forward with information. If you know something, share it with somebody. Mm -hmm. If it's me, I'd love to hear your story. If you want to go directly to the Sheriff's Department, you can find their number. Um, The billboard has the Sheriff's Department number, the attorney's number, Crime Stoppers has a, a number you can call. Any tiny little piece of information I can't emphasize enough you don't know what the rest of the puzzle looks right. like. And the piece, the piece that you've got might seem insignificant, but it might click into place and just spell out this whole message that yeah. we couldn't see before. Mm-hmm. Anything that you've got, come forward with it. Share tips with me. Send me emails if you want to. Spread the um, word. Yeah. There's a Kristen Smart scholarship that you can donate to, kristensmart.org. Okay. Right. They have a scholarship in her name, and they do it every year. They give out scholarships to college students who are like Kristen, who have Mm -hmm. ambition and want to do things with their lives. Um, And yeah, keep talking about Kristen. Like most importantly to them is their daughter's memory isn't forgotten and hold on tight. Like wait and see what's going to happen. If there are community events, try to go to them. If you can try to organize things yourself. I think we're looking at trying to set up a Q and a at some point because so many people are emailing me the same kinds of questions Mm -hmm. that it's like at some point I would be happy to just sit down with a group and say, what do you guys want to know? And what can I, I'm not an expert or anything, but I've been researching this. You are an expert at this point to a certain extent. I mean, maybe you don't want to um, admit it, but you know, the details, the the nuts and bolts. And I think we need uh, an expert to coalesce around. Yeah, you know, and 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 I mean, I couldn't agree more. Every time it also gets on TV, yeah, and so the vigils mean a lot because every yep. time it gets on TV, maybe the, more people go on the podcast and hear about it and can offer whatever they've heard. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Particular, I think locally is going to be the key. Yes, it, because a lot of people are like, maybe we should get Doctor Phil involved. Maybe we yeah. should go in this direction. And it's like maybe. But I really do think the answer is going to come from this community. Yep. It's going to be somebody right. yep. who lives here now or somebody who lived here at the time who's now somewhere else who hears about it and goes, oh, I've been holding on to this thing and I didn't think it was important yep. until now. Yep. I just can't imagine that nobody knows except the person who took her life. There's yep. got to be more people who know or mm-hmm. have heard something over the years. And hopefully we can put all those stories together and spell something yeah. out. Hey. And I would love for people who are listening to um, check out the – Find Kristen Smart Facebook page yeah. and Venmo some money over here to Chris because mm-hmm. yeah he he's sacrificed so much and including his job and his time and everything into Seriously. this. But um, so <laughs> to that end, <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> is there going to be a season two? 
I don't know about a whole season, but I can't imagine there won't be at least a couple follow-up episodes. At Uh this point, I'm getting so much new information, and I did get to sit down with a detective. I interviewed him on the record for like an hour and a half. So at some point, tapes like that will get put together into a new episode. Um, And I just yeah, and I'm I'm so hopeful at this point that I keep hoping I'm going to wake up to a big press conference. Uh They're going to say we got Kristen, and then from that point, it's like, well, now let me follow up on this and do a whole new season about. Yeah. Now that Kristen's been found, here's what happens. Yes. I really hope that's oh, the next that step. So beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. Right well, thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Yeah, you are happy to not do just it. coming on, but for doing this. Yes. Man. This is needs to be done. And I thought that it would just die, and now it's it's caught fire again. Yeah. So thank goodness. And, and I've been telling people too, like just like I said, I got a kernel of this idea. It's like, am I the right person to do this? I have no background. I have no but I just got tired of waiting for someone yeah. else. So yeah. if yeah. you have an idea, something you want to do, and you're not sure, it. If it, just start it yeah. and see what happens. Yeah, we every individual has so much power in today's world. It's so neat. With, with I know. And, and, and you were eight years old when yeah. you first heard about I was 12, I believe I was 12. And, um, yeah, she was so striking. Mm-hmm. And it's always broken my heart. And just listening to your podcast, there were moments where I just wanted to cry. Oh, yeah. Because it was so heartbreaking. But you are bringing so much hope to people, to the Smart family, to me, mm-hmm. and to this community. So we want to thank you. Thank you. Yeah, happy mm-hmm. to do it. Thank you. Right on. Now's the time in the show where we talk about books. TV shows, movies, and any other type of media that we are high on right now. And I think that we – did we agree that we're both going to talk about The Mandalorian? Yes. <laughs> I mean, we both – I mean, Jose got it first. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. The ultimate Disney fan, yeah. <laughs> but got the Disney Plus channel. And then I immediately did because they were all raving about this show. It's not It's not that it's super high production value, I don't think. doesn't seem like it, no. Uh, the plot is just great. But that's that's it. It's the writing. It's the directing. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And the compelling characters. Yes. Gosh, that's what it is. It's totally character-driven. Mandalorian is the ultimate tough guy. Yes. And he's confronted with taking care of a baby. It's, it's again, it's that Star Wars. Mm-hmm. What's that called? Where it's like this human situation that a lot of times, what's that? Like Joseph Campbell's myths and, yeah. oh, I can't remember. It's a hero drama. Right? Yeah, yeah. The These, hero journey. The, oh, the archetypes. Yeah, the oh, archetypes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, what else do you love about it besides characters? So, what I, so, this is a character, but what I love, though, is... Pedro Pascal, who plays the Mandalorian. Okay, I was, didn't even know who did, who. What has he been in? He's been in a lot of stuff. He was the villain in Equalizer Two. Okay. He was in a show called Narcos. He's done a bunch of stuff, but in this particular show, you don't see his face because he wears the Mandalorian mask, and he's supposed to be the main character. But the internet, everyone is so taken <laughs> with Baby Yoda. Heck yeah! Okay, I was wondering if that was actually Yoda, but. Well, and I told somebody it was mistakenly. I had to go to him and say the next day I was so wrong. It doesn't work with the timeline. So who could he be? So there's okay. This is where I'm going to get nerdy. But at the beginning, in the first episode, the guy who basically gives the um, bounty to the Mandalorian has an insignia apparently on his shirt or or his jacket that is from the Camino cloners. In episode two, Attack of the Clones. Okay. So it could very well be that 
this baby Yoda is a clone of the Yoda. Oh, how would they have gotten? Well, you can get DNA all kinds of different yeah. ways. Yeah. And so the so one of my theories going into Rise of Skywalker is that Rey is a clone. Oh my! And then, as we all know from trailers, a clone of of the, someone like not Leia. No, of of someone. I, okay. I don't know who yet. But and I just assumed that that it can't be Leia and Han. Or the other their theory daughter? could be that it's their daughter. But okay, that's my that's my going theory. That could be yeah. Okay. That's been a popular one. But I think it's a clone because in the Last Jedi, there's that scene where she says, "Show me my parents," and then she touches that frost. Oh yeah, yeah, image, yeah, yeah. And it's just like a thousand mm-hmm. images of herself. Oh yeah, that's. But the question kind of goes with that big time. Yeah, but the question from the trailer for Rise of the Skywalker is that. How is the Emperor back? Oh, right. Well, one of the theories is that, well, he's a clone. Okay. Well, there we go. So, clones galore. It may very well yeah, just be... Yeah, what do you think about that as a... As a I don't know. Is it too schmaltzy? It might a, be. But... That's just a theory. Yeah. And, you know... Well, I mean, they brought up clones real early yeah. in the series. And not as a trick. Not as a gimmick, but... Because if you think about all those... Warriors, yeah. Warriors in episode mm-hmm. two attack the clones. Mm-hmm. And then they came back in... Um, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Right? They were all clones. And Boba Fett or who was a clone? It was, they were clones of Jango Fett. Of Jango Fett, right. Yeah. yeah. So, But anyway, and then, and then of course, The Mandalorian is a Mandalorian. Right. So. Yeah. It's, oh, it's a great show. I'm really taken with um, just, the Mandalorians are almost like Iron Man in that all their gadgets and stuff. I just dig mm-hmm. that type of character. He's got those flying, uh, what are those birds called? Those singing birds or whatever? Yeah, I've def- he, I think they're singing birds. He doesn't even have a jetpack yet, which is crazy. No. He's like, I got to get one of those. Yeah. I mean, and, and that was what everybody associated um, Mandalorians with, but uh, he's a cool character. He is, and he is—he's cool as a cucumber. And, yes, and we so see cool. in episode four potential for him to fall in love, yeah. and he just—he stays the course. You know, this yep. is the this is the way, as he says. Yes, it's and it's a cult. Speaking of cults, pretty much. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's like a cult of uh, of madness. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sweet, yeah. So it's such a good show. And yeah, it's uh, John. Favreau. I hope it goes on forever because it's such a great thing to I look know. forward to every Friday. It's just yeah, Friday. But okay, so that's another thing. Um, well, I want to mention two more things. I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling. No, do because I love the nerdiness of. So <laughs> you read the books. Come on. <laughs> well, okay. So first of all, I love that this is a weekly show because mm-hmm. normally, like with Jack Ryan, The Crown, mm-hmm. I binge. I mm-hmm. watch the whole thing, then it's over. Mm-hmm. It but forces you to. Uh, you have to savor Wait. every episode. Yes, you really do. Watch it twice. It. I've watched one of them twice. I watched the first one like three or four times. <laughs> so, yeah, you pour over, you appreciate, you savor mm-hmm. all the episodes versus just binging them all. Yeah, I agree. And I wonder if Amazon is like second-guessing their um, their tradition of, all, of putting them all together. Because I did yeah. too with Jack Ryan, the most recent one. I don't think oh, yeah. it was nearly as good as the first one. No, but I binged it anyway. Yeah, I did too. And I couldn't <laughs> stop it. It was still good enough. I mean, yeah. it's it's interesting all the different streaming um, services how they do it. Uh, Netflix, by the way, also I shouldn't just say Amazon. Netflix, Netflix. puts them all out pretty much yeah. for all together. And it's then, interesting to, to compare the strategies. Yeah, I think the weekly one is. A good mm-hmm. one. Yep. And the other thing I wanted to point out really quickly here was that um, the third episode of The Mandalorian was directed by a woman named Deborah Cho. I'm not familiar with things she's done in the past. But I do know she's the one who's going to be um, 
the the writer, the producer, director, whatever, what have you, of the Obi Wan series coming out on Disney Plus. Oh, now of so I, you and McGregor. Okay, I just want to hear what is coming down the pipeline because this makes me so happy. So there's an Obi Wan yes. series coming, starring you and McGregor, and we get to look forward to all these different Star Wars series yes, now. We do now. There are probably people who are pissed about this, and I just think those those people I was going <laughs> to use a cuss word are just sticks in the mud. They are. This is amazing. So yes, there's a trilogy coming of movies. But there's going to be TV shows. Okay, what are the movies and again? You've told me. But. There's another trilogy that Ryan Johnson is going to be putting together. He's the one who did The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't. no one knows what they're about. Okay. But uh, the Obi-Wan series will take place after episode three. So he apparently will go to Tatooine and somehow be looking he, after Luke Skywalker growing up. He's my favorite character. Oh, he's amazing. I mean, yeah. He barely beats Yoda, but he's my favorite character. And, and I, my favorite um, movie was the first Star Wars and New Hope. And I just think that who? What's the name of that old character? That old actor who played him? Just it's just he to me almost carried it when he showed yeah. up. It the show just took that movie just took off. That was Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness. Sir oh, Alec Guinness. Sir. What a dandy! That Alec he, he's a great great actor. So anyway, Mandalorian, check it out. It's on Disney. Plus. Cheers, cheers, cheers to Mandalorian to and, and looking forward to stuff in life. Yeah. yeah. And that is all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on our humble little podcast. You could do us a huge, huge favor by subscribing to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play or iTunes, and be sure to rate our show and leave a review. Your rating will help others find this show. And be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram at Conversation on Tap. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. And thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. Yes, thanks, Chris. And we are looking forward to justice for Kristen. Yes. Cheers. Cheers.